I hate snakes. <laughs> I don't just dislike them. I hate them. And you know, whenever you have a phobia, chances are something happened in your childhood that contributed to that. And for me, I know exactly where it all started. My, I grew up in Fort Worth. I was a city boy, but my grandfather had a ranch in South Texas, and so we spent a lot of time down there. I remember one day, I was five years old, my parents were helping my grandfather pin some sheep, and they were running the sheep to get them into the pen. And I was, oh, 30, 40 yards away with my uncle. I was watching my mom and dad on a dead sprint, and all of a sudden my mom stopped, locked still, with her foot in the air, and just, next thing I know, I saw my dad rip a branch off a tree, and he started beating the ground by my mom's feet. I had no idea what was going on. It freaked me out. But a few minutes later, I realized what was going on because my dad reached down with uh, the branch and he picked up the, the Texas diamondback rattlesnake that he'd just beaten to death and he held it up at waist level and the snake touched the ground on both sides. So from that point on, I've just hated snakes. I'm, I've, I've got a fear of snakes. I don't like them at all. And all my stories about snakes are bad. When I graduated from college, <laughs> I went to Houston and I was part of, I was, I was associate pastor of a great church there in the inner city, and we had just built a brand new worship center, and the general contractor, he didn't clean up real well. There was a, we, would, we would walk around the, the worship center, we'd find little pieces of, of leftover from the construction. I was getting ready for a funeral one morning, and so I was just going through the building, make sure that everything was clean, and all the hymnals were back in the racks, and if you don't come from a traditional church, you have no idea what I just said. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But where the cup holders are in our church, there used to be songbooks in churches, and so I was going through making sure all the hymnals were back safely in the racks, and I looked down, and there was a little strip of plastic. I thought a little piece of molding had fallen out of the ceiling, and uh, so I reached down to pick up the strip of plastic, and it moved. <laughs> and I looked at that. It's about that long. I said, well, it's a grass snake. You know, we have grass snakes in Fort Worth. So I reached down to pick it up, and all of a sudden, there was something within me that said, Hoover, you don't like snakes. Don't pick it up with your hand. So in my office, I had an empty pickle jar. And I went back to the office, got the empty pickle jar, took a, a metal coat hanger, straightened it out, and kind of spanked the snake into the jar and put the lid on it. I went out and preached the funeral. There were several people from the church in the funeral, and, and, and I, I talked to a guy after the funeral. I said, Jack, I want to tell you something. I found the strangest grass snake. Let me tell you about this grass snake. I said, and I think I used the word feisty. That's how long ago this was. I said, it's the feistiest grass snake I ever saw in my life. I said, when I got him in the jar, he coils up. And then I said, when I hold it up to my face, he'll strike the side of the pickle jar. Jack said, Pastor Mark, let me see that snake. So I took him back to my office, and I showed him. He started laughing. He said, now, you're from Central Texas. He said, you, you don't understand. Here in East Texas, this is what we call a ground rattler. It's a little tiny rattlesnake, but it's got serious venom. And he said, it might not have killed you, but it would have made you really sick. Instantly, my mind went back to that moment where I started to pick up that grass snake with my hand. A few years ago, I was doing a conference in some southeastern city here in the United States. I don't remember which one it was. But they just had a golf course that they thought was, oh, they bragged about this golf course, this PGA course, have PGA tournament there. I mean, all I heard from the guys, the members of this club in, in the church, oh, we just got to get you out there on that golf course. Oh, it's the greatest golf course in the world. Well, here, you know, I'm not much of a golfer. The windmills just give me so much trouble. Uh, <laughs> it's not that bad. But it's pretty close. And, and for me, you know, a public course is just is okay for me because all that elegance and all that, you know, all the fine treatment that the greens get in one of those PGA courses lost on me, on my game. But they wanted to get me out there. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll go play around. So I went out there, and, and we were teeing off on the first hole. 
And uh, the guy hit a shot, and it went over into the rough and the right side of the fairway. And so I was in the cart, and he called me over, and he said, I want you to see something. I thought he wanted to show me something about this drop-dead awesome course. So I went over there, and he pointed to his ball, and right beside he said, look, there's a copperhead. Now here I am on this fantastic golf course. The first rule of golf is to keep your head still, keep your eye on the ball. But I didn't, I didn't observe that rule all day long because I wasn't watching the ball. I was looking for copperheads. And that's just me. All, I, all my stories are about snakes are bad. Now, there's some of you, especially considering the fact that a lot of you have farm backgrounds, you say, Pastor Mark, there are a lot of snakes that are good, and they do good things. And yet, you got to realize, Mark, you have ophidophobia. You have an unnatural fear of snakes. Well, you might be right. In fact, I know you are right, and I'll buy you a ticket to the Herpetarium if you want me to. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, I hate snakes. I hate all snakes. I don't care if they're good snakes or bad snakes. In fact, I have developed two strong opinions about snakes. Number one, there are two kinds of snakes. There are those that will hurt you, and there are those that will make you hurt yourself. <laughs> Therefore, number two, the only good snake is a dead snake. Now, when I read the Bible, I get a little backing up because every reference to snakes in the Bible is negative. <laughs> in fact, one of the verses, the, the verse that we're going to look at today tells us that we might not be fearful enough of snakes. And there's a sad story, and no humor at all in this. There's a sad story with all the flooding that we've had here in the central United States. Um, there was a guy over in Missouri that walked into the St. James River and got bitten, if I remember the article, right on both legs. And I guess being a typical guy like I am, his girlfriend tried to get him to go to the hospital, and he said, no, he'd be fine. He went to sleep that night and didn't wake up. So, you know, what we're going to look at in the Bible is something about snakes. It's a verse about snakes, and it's just telling us that we, we might not be concerned enough about them. I want to take you to an obscure verse. It's the kind of verse that you and I might read in our morning devotions. If we're reading through the Bible, we might go right past it and not stop. Honestly, I did for years. One day when I was a very young preacher, I came across this verse and I began to think about it. Solomon is writing in the book of Ecclesiastes and he's talking about a lot of times how that we have intentions to do what we want to do, but we, it winds up backfiring on us. In the first line of our site, which I'm not going to talk about today, he just said, whoever digs a pit may fall in it. In other words, if we set out to destroy somebody else, we may destroy ourselves in the process. That'd be a good talk. We'll save it for another day. But in the second part of the verse, he said, whoever breaks a fence, a snake will bite him. And I began to think about that a lot, and I came up with a message called Snakes and Fences, and to the best of my ability, I'm going to try to bring it to you today. Snakes and Fences. Might not mean a lot to us today, because our world's very different than Solomon's time. But people did something ingenious. People existed by farming back then, growing, growing crops. It was an agrarian culture. And if you wanted to grow crops... You usually had an issue with your fields. There were rocks out in the fields. And the people did something really ingenious. They would take the rocks that were in their fields. They'd, they'd take lemons and make lemonade. They took the rocks that were in their fields, and they went and constructed fences to border their properties. They would just stack them up loosely, no mortar. My son Stephen and I were in Scotland a few years ago, and I saw the same thing in Scotland. As you go through Scotland, there would be rock, rock, rock fences where people had taken the rocks in the field and constructed fences. But Solomon, of course, wasn't in a climate like Scotland. He, he was in the hot Mediterranean climate. 
And so what happened with those rock fences is that poisonous snakes, oftentimes vipers, in order to get cool, would crawl up into the crevices of the rocks in a fence. And Solomon gives us a word picture of somebody that just decided he didn't like the fence. This is going to be important now, and it'll be important throughout this talk. Solomon doesn't tell us why. He doesn't even get into the motivation. I mean, why does this guy want to mess with the fence? Did he just not like fences? Did he not like where his neighbor put a fence? Was it a prank? We don't know. Solomon never gets to that. Evidently, it doesn't matter a whole lot. He just said, whoever messes with a fence, the snake will bite him. So he just imagines that a guy begins to pull a rock out for some reason to mess with a fence, and all of a sudden, he gets bitten, and that's all he's saying. Now, you and I know Solomon is a wise person, and he's not just giving advice to farmers saying, hey, be careful out in your fields not to mess with fences or you get snake bit. He's talking about life, and he's talking about you and me, and he's trying to give us a message. And when he talks about fences, he's really talking about a word that we know about. He's talking about boundaries, the boundaries of life. And when he talks about snakes, he's talking about the negative circumstances that can come into our lives if we decide for a bad reason we want to mess with a boundary. And so all he's saying to you and me, and this is what I'm going to talk about today, and again, I, like I told you during the announcements, it's probably not going to be the most fun talk I've ever given, and it may not be the most fun talk you've ever listened to. Last week we talked about what happens the moment you die. It was all about the promises of God. That was great. Today... We're going to go to a different place, and we're going to talk about some of God's warnings, because this is what it is. Solomon is giving us a warning. He's just saying, whoever messes with the boundaries of life is going to get snake bit. Well, and I, don't, I want to end on time. Last week, I went seven minutes over in all five sermons, so I'm going to try to end on time today. I've got at least three thoughts I want to give you, and four if I have time. So let's start with the first one. And, and the first one, boy, you're going to say, I drove all the way to New Spring to hear this. But it's still important that we grasp it, at least that we start here. Solomon just wants us to know fences are part of life for all of us. He's saying we're all going to deal with fences. When I was in high school in the early 70s, um, the Vietnam War was still going on. And, and I'll tell you that for a reason, because one day in class, an angry kid, a friend of mine, walked in, slammed his books on his desk, and began to cuss his dad. And so I said, what's the matter? He said, and he started letting out a string of profanity about his old man. And, he, and by the way, that was disgraceful, but a way to talk about parents, but it was just a rebellious time. And this kid just started cussing his dad. And he said, I'm going to go join the Marines. I said, why are you going to go join the Marines? He said, I'm tired of taking orders. <laughs> That's fact. That's exactly what he said to me. I'm tired of taking orders. I'm going to join the Marines. You know, you and I, you laugh at that because that's so stupid. He's just going to trade one set of fences for another set of fences. And that's what happens to you and me. We don't like a particular set of fences, so we disregard them. You know what we find out? We're dealing with another set. Fences are just part of life. Boundaries are part of life. And we need to just embrace that and wrap our arms around it. Because Solomon is saying, look, there are fences. And I'm not going to elaborate on these because your mind is quick and, and you'll, you'll flesh this out. But there are there are several kinds of fences. For instance, there are health and wellness fences. You know, and by the way, you know what fences are for? Fences are for three purposes. Fences are either, if a fence keeps us out, it's to keep us out of trouble. If a fence keeps us in, it's to keep us from going someplace dangerous. And if a fence is around someone else, it's to protect them from us or anyone else. Those are the three reasons for fences. To keep us out of trouble, uh, to keep trouble from coming in, to keep us from going to a dangerous place, and to keep us from harming somebody else. 
Well, they're health and wellness fences. We know that. We get told that all the time. I mean, we get told that from Surgeon General, from the medical community. Uh, many of us are interested in our health. The older we get, the more interested we get in health. They're health and wellness fences. They're societal fences. You know, if you're driving along the road at 40 miles an hour and all of a sudden you come, about, you come across a school and it's during school hours, there's a flashing light that says 20 miles an hour, school zone. That's a fence. It's just one of society's fences that the law has put into place. There are society's fences that keep us from going to a dangerous place, keeping something troublesome from coming in and protect other people. Um, there are relationship fences. Wow, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about relationship boundaries. In any healthy relationship, there are boundaries. Hey, I'm married to the greatest woman in the world, been married 38 years, but there are some boundaries that I respect with Mary Alice. And that's just how life is. Uh, and most of all, there are God boundaries. You knew I was going to go there. God has put some fences in. And here's the thing. God's fences add one more reason. Not only does, does God put up fences to keep us from dangerous places and to keep trouble from coming in and to protect others from us, God also puts in some fences that respect who he is. See, in our culture today, especially in American Christianity, we, we want to hear the messages that tell us how to have a better life. And there's no doubt about it. God will do that. But God is worthy of our worship and our praise and our adoration. And God wants to be respected. And we don't talk about that enough. Some of the fences God has put into our world is so that we will worship him and respect him. For instance, not to take his name in vain. If we just go through the commandments, the commandments are fences. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, the Bible's not a book of do's and don'ts. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, the fences in the Bible, the, you know, if you think about no other gods, God has put a fence around his glory. When God tells us not to steal, he's put a fence around somebody else's property. When God tells us not to act out and misbehave sexually, well, that's for all three reasons. That's to keep us from going to a dangerous place, to keep trouble from coming in, and to keep us protecting other people. If you go through the commandments, not murdering, and, and all, all ten of them, they are fences that God has put into place to respect his glory, to keep us from going to a dangerous place, to keep trouble from coming in, and to protect others from ourselves. Fences are just part of life. Here's the second thing that I want to point out. It's just human nature not to like fences. In fact, I've noticed this is my fourth time to preach this message. It gets very quiet. It's like, I, I, you know, and it's in me too. We just, we, we, it's, we don't like fences unless we put them up. You know, it's like a toddler that doesn't know the word, meaning of the word no unless he says it. Strange thing. I've learned that from dealing with people, from managing people. A lot of times we want to we wanna disregard the boundaries, but boy, we want other people to respect them. Uh, but there's something within us, just human nature. If, if a fence keeps us out, we want to break in. If a fence keeps us in, we want to break out. And if a fence protects somebody else, we want to ask, what makes them so special? <laughs> right? It's just in us. It's in me. It's in you. It's in our broken nature. And here's the thing. We get a lot of help and a lot of coaching from our culture because in order to sell us products, manufacturers and companies know that if they challenge us to break the rules, it's going to resonate with us. Man, back when I was doing this talk in the 80s and early 90s, I remember Burger King came out with a slogan that said, sometimes you got to break the rules. And Outback had a slogan that said, no rules. Our culture, our culture will kiss up to us and that part of us that wants to break the fences by telling us it's going to be okay. 
But we need to understand something. This is so powerful that we get it. This idea that sometimes you got to break the rules, it wasn't Burger King that came up with that or Outback or Freud or Kinsey or Huxley. It was Satan who came up with that. Because God basically said to the human race, there are some fences. Respect them. See, here's the thing. Look, can we just take a time out for a moment? Because some of us are getting a little tense. I'm gonna come, I've come to church now, and I'm going to hear a sermon about fences and rules. Can we, can we just relax for a moment and at least embrace one reality? Wouldn't this be a better world if we all respected the fences? I mean, wouldn't we be healthier if we respected the health and wellness fences? I mean, wouldn't, I mean, here's the thing. Do you realize if we respected all the fences, we wouldn't have to have all the laws that we have today? We're an over-judicious, over-litigious society, but that comes about because people don't respect law, respect fences. If we respected the fences that keep us from danger, trouble from coming in and protect other people's interests, we wouldn't have to have very many laws. Wouldn't we be better off if we respected relationship fences? And most of all, wouldn't we be better off if we respected God's fences? So even though there's something within us that kind of resists us a little bit, we still embrace the idea that we would be better off. Then, then what is it that causes us to want to break the fences down? Or how do we get ourselves to the place? This is a better question. How do we get ourselves to the place where we break the fences? Well, if we would be better off by respecting them, the obvious truth is we have to lie to ourselves. We have to say to ourselves, if I break out, I'm not going to a dangerous place. If I tear down this fence, anything that comes in isn't going to hurt me. And if there's a fence that protects somebody else's interest, they're going to be okay. Listen, I've talked to a lot of people before, especially who are going to break the fence in marriage. And, and I've, talked to, I've talked to men and women and said, hey, you can't do this. And I've had, I've had guys say, she'll be okay. Or he don't ever have to know. Or this is the one that crushes me every time I hear it. I hear people say, well, kids are resilient. We lie to ourselves. See, we break, we break the fences, and, and, you know, because after all, we hear sometimes you got to break the rules. Well, the thing about it is, the person who came up with this is Satan. Let me just read to you the first time Satan told human beings that they would be okay if they broke fences. And you know this is in Genesis 3. And let's just read it real quickly. In, in Genesis 3, verse 1, Satan says to Eve, did God really tell you not to eat the fruit from the trees of the garden? She said, of course, we can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit in the middle, tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you shouldn't eat it, shouldn't touch it. If you do, you'll die. Look at Satan. You won't die. God put a fence around the tree. He said, if you break down the fence, you're going to go to a dangerous place. Satan said, you won't die. Now he's going to say, not only will you not die, he's going to say you'll be better off. He said, verse 5, God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was fruit, beautiful. This fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom she thought it would give her. She took the fruit, ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. At that moment, what happened? Were they better off? No. Their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves up. You and I know what happened later. They got kicked out of the garden. They were going to die. All the bad stuff came into the world. If that wasn't bad enough, in chapter 4, they're going to be at the funeral of one of their sons who was murdered by the other. So Satan told them, hey, you're going to be better off. Sometimes you've got to break the rules. You're going to be okay. But they weren't okay. There is one word in Solomon's proverb that really stands out to me, and always has. And I think it's what got me thinking about writing the sermon 
almost 30 years ago. He said, whoever breaks a fence, a snake will bite him. Whoever. See, this is, this is the thing that I've watched in my life and in ministering to other people. The reason we break fences, and we never say this, but the reason we feel like it's okay to break fences, we think we're special. Listen, I've spent time working with pastors who've gotten the, themselves in trouble. I actually dealt with a pastor one time who was having an affair with another woman in his church. He was about to leave his wife, and this joker told me this. He actually said this to me with a straight face. He said, God brought this other woman into my life. Now, let me translate that for you. He was saying, I'm special. God has said you shall not commit adultery. God has said that a pastor must be morally pure, but I have an exemption card. I'm special. But notice what Solomon's saying. Solomon's saying, snake doesn't care if I've been pastor of this church 30 years. Snake doesn't care if I've, I'm married to the greatest woman in the world. A snake doesn't care about any of that. It's just if Mark Hoover puts his hand in a fence, he's going to get snake bit. And so will you. Let me go to a sensitive place. We're a culture right now that's breaking down as many fences as we can break down, and we're celebrating the breakage of those fences. Let me tell you what we're missing, okay? Because we're missing something big. See, here's the thing. Somebody can say to me, Mark, I just don't like fences, and you better like snakes. Because here's the thing, and there's no getting around this. You're either going to deal with the fences of life, or you're going to deal with the snakes of life. That's our choice. That's our option. That's why I'm preaching this very difficult sermon today. You're either going to respect the fences or deal with the snakes. You, don't, you say, I just, I just rebellious. I don't like fences. Well, knock yourself out, but you're going to deal with lots of snakes. And in our culture today, we've decided we don't like fences. Like I said, if I brought this in 1987, it was, a, it was an apropos message, but it couldn't be more appropriate for a period than right now because today, and here's the thing, here's the thing. Solomon never talks about the motivation of the person wanting to break the fence. He may have felt like, and we might even be sympathetic with him, he may have actually felt like he had a good reason for breaking the fence. Well, Solomon never goes there. Because what's the point of talking about his motivation if he's going to get snake bit? And that is what is wrong with us today. We, when, we, when we break down fences, we look at the feelings and the motivations of the person who wants to pull down the fence. We're not spending any time talking about snakes. I'll give you an example. I, I know that many here today have been through the trauma of divorce, and I wouldn't do anything to add to your grief. But wouldn't we all agree that divorce is a little too common today? Way too common. And many of you have been victimized and you're going to really understand what I'm talking about. Did you know that there was a time in the United States, not so long ago, in my lifetime, where a couple, if they wanted to get a divorce, they had to go to court and show cause. In other words, there was a perpetrator who had caused this divorce. And so consequently, in the courts, the determination was to see who was at fault in this divorce. And I will just tell you this, it had a bearing on the financial settlement, and it also had a bearing on who would get the children. But there came along, and, and most, of us have, most of us are way too young to even know that there was a different world, but there came along something called no-fault divorce. It was first brought in, by the, brought in by the Bolsheviks in the communist revolution in Russia. 
It was signed into law for the first time by, of all people, Ronald Reagan when he was governor of California. And the idea is we are sympathetic with the people who have to go to court and air their dirty laundry. Well, I'm sympathetic too, wouldn't you be? I mean, that would be an awkward thing. We're sympathetic with the people that feel so badly about having to go into court and, and say, this person is at fault. And yeah, dirty laundry comes out and all kinds of things. So consequently, since we're sympathetic with them, we're just going to tear down the fence and we're going to say it doesn't matter whose fault it is. Well, how many of you have had to go into court and you didn't want your marriage to blow up? You were faithful to your spouse, but now you go into court and you go in on equal footing with the person who's an absolute perpetrator. You see what I'm saying? We spend all our time with the sympathy for the person at the fence, and we don't spend any time talking about the snakes. And here we are today. We're tearing down fences, and we're like bobblehead dolls. If the culture tells us to go along with something, well, we just go right along with it, and we don't ever ask any question about snakes. Hey, Solomon's just saying it doesn't matter who breaks the fence. If it's Mark Hoover, if it's you, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't even matter why we break the fence. He's just saying, you break a fence and a snake will bite you. Well, the third point I've already taught, and so I really shouldn't spend a whole lot of time there. We've been toying with it all day long. The third thought is simply this. Any, any attempt to break one of God's fences introduces poison into the life. You break any of God's fences, there's going to be poison. So since we've already talked about that, let me just give you three thoughts, okay, real quickly. Here's the first one. And this is Oh, goodness. Before I get here, could I tell you the last thing I want to do is to bring guilt? Because guilt is a worthless emotion. Guilt, guilt, guilt never gets us anywhere. I just want to make sure that we don't have any cognitive dissonance, okay? I want to make sure that we're being honest with ourselves. I have a friend whom I love very much right now. And, and metaphorically speaking, he's just covered with snake bites. And he doesn't know why he has all the poison in his life. If he would ever be honest with himself and turn around, he would see that he's broken through a whole bunch of fences. But he doesn't look. He doesn't look. He refuses to look. In his mind, he's been victimized by a bunch of snakes. So not in the essence of creating guilt, but in the, in the essence of honesty and full disclosure. If you and I have poison in our lives, could we at least turn around and see if we've broken some fences? Now, quickly, I want to make the point, like I did a few moments ago with divorce. It could be that some of you have poison in your life, and you didn't break the fence. Somebody else broke it. And you shouldn't feel anything other than going to God and asking God to heal you and help you. But I'm saying for those of us who, who have broken the fences, we didn't want a fence. We tore it down. We wanted to break out. We wanted to break in. We thought that person really isn't all that special. I'm more special. So we pulled a rock out of a fence, and we got the snake bite. Could we just look back and say, I need to own this? The second thing I want to talk to you about in regard to any breakage of fences brings poison into the life, is there a lot of, here's the thing. If you got your hand on a rock, pull it back. I got a great email last night after the, one of the services. Somebody said, I, I pulled my hand back tonight. Because see, here's the thing. Some of us are real close to breaking a fence. You're flirting with somebody who's not your spouse. You're about to do something dishonest. You're starting to mess with substances that could screw you up. You're just beginning to walk away from God. you got your hand on a rock. Pull it back. Pull it back. Third thing I want to say to you is if you do have your hand on a rock, there are people who have been snake bitten who would like to talk to you. I wish they could because they come talk to me. 
I talked with a lady the other day, awesome lady, the kind of lady you would want for your next door neighbor, a Christ follower, a great lady. But, you know, she started messing with the fence, pulled a rock back, wound up having an affair, blew up her marriage. Now she's only with her kids half the time. Oh, she would love to talk to you today. If you're flirting with somebody who's not yours, she would love to talk to you. I got a letter from a young man in prison. I don't know about meth. It must be awfully hard to beat. And um, he got, and, it, and it's pervasive in our culture today, in our schools, and even in our rural areas, in our junior high schools. And he started messing with meth, and he got hooked. And he beat it a couple of times, but he relapsed. And because of that relapse, he's, he's incarcerated right now. He's a nice guy. I think he's got a wonderful heart. He knows the Lord. He's broken about this. Listen, if you're starting to mess with substances, he would so love to talk to you today. He would love, to, he would beg you, please take your hand off that rock. You don't know about the snake. Oh, I can handle it. I'm special. He'd tell you you're not. And you're not. And I'm not. Let's go to the fourth place. Could we be honest enough to say we're all a bunch of snake-bitten people? Could we be honest enough to say we're all a bunch of fence breakers? I am. What are we going to do about the poison that's in our lives? Well, first of all, could we just stop breaking fences? I mean, I know that we still break some from time to time. We're, we're human. We'll, it'll happen. But could, could, could we just... Not have a moment of honesty that says, you know, there are snakes there, and I've been bitten, and I'm not going to live in cognitive dissonance anymore, pretending that when a snake bites me, I don't know why. But more than that, we have poison in us, and what are we going to do about that? I started today by telling you about snake stories. I want to close by giving you one more, but it's not mine. While we're here, there's nobody here but us and the television cameras. And our internet audience. I'm so glad you're here. So just in the, you know, the closeness of this moment. I'm not crazy about the book of Numbers in the Bible. I avoid it when I can. Because Numbers is a, is a book that gets me down. I love Deuteronomy. It's the young generation who gets it. But Numbers is the older generation that just keeps screwing up. And they just don't learn. And so whenever I read the book of Numbers, I keep waiting for them to learn and get it. And they just never get it. So, but there are lots of great stories in the book of Numbers that we ought to read. And one in particular, and I'm not going to read it, I'm not going to take, I can't take time to read it because we're just out of time, but this is in the book of Numbers. The people just kept flipping God off and angering Moses and saying, we wish you would go back to Egypt. And now they're in the wilderness and God's just having to wait till the generation dies off. And, but they get God so upset one day that God sends poisonous snakes all through the camp. Basically, God is saying, you want to deal with me? I'll let you deal with snakes. And it's been a while since I've read it, but I think it was like 14,000 people died. And so the people went to Moses, and this is interesting. I think you'll find this interesting. They went to Moses, and they said, ask God to take the snakes away. This is American Christianity in the 21st century. It's not like God heal us from the poison. God, take the snakes away. I want to do wrong, and I don't want to deal with snakes. And they said, we want, ask God to take the snakes away. But thankfully, God gave them what they needed, not what they were asking for. Because what they needed was they needed to be healed from all the snake bite. 
And God did the most unusual thing, and it's hard to explain, but I'm going to take a crack at it. God said to Moses, I want you to take brass, and I want you to make a snake and put it on a pole. By the way, it's still our symbol for medicine. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm saying, God, I believe we have enough snakes already. Last thing we need is one more of any kind. God said, no, make a brass snake, put it on a pole, walk through the camp. Anybody who looks at the snake and believes will be healed. Now, what was that all about? This is big, because if we miss this, we'll miss the sermon. Why did God make a, have them make a snake? He wanted them to own what they did wrong. See, he didn't want them to heal themselves. They couldn't. He wanted them to own what they did wrong. Oh, that we could learn that. God doesn't want us to live in guilt. Here's the thing. We just won't get any help until we own what, we do, what we're doing wrong. And he wanted them to look at the snake and to realize that what they had done had brought about their issue and to believe that God could heal them from that. Okay. It worked. And if it, weren't for, if it weren't for what I'm about to tell you, that would be an obscure story locked in a book that I don't read all that often, the book of Numbers. Because you can say, well, Mark, I don't, I don't, what's the deal about the snake, the brass snake and all that? What's the importance? The greatest man who ever lived in the greatest chapter of the Bible who is about to do the greatest thing he ever did, which is the greatest need that you have, talked about this story. Two verses before John 3.16, which is the greatest verse in the Bible, Jesus said, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Because see, Jesus knew you and I have broken lots of fences. we got lots of poison in us. And even if God took the snakes away, it wouldn't heal us from the poison. We need someone to heal us. We need to own, God wants us to own the fact that we're sinners. Not so that we'll live in guilt. And not so that we'll feel shame. He just wants us to own the reality that we've broken some fences. And then turn to him and look up at Jesus, realizing that our sin was placed on him. See, the snake represented what the people had done wrong when it was held up. When Jesus was lifted up, he was lifted up with all our sin attached to him. So that when we see Jesus dying on the cross, we say, that's because of me. My sin put him there. Can you feel that today? I do. I look upon him and say, my sin put him there. You say, Mark, is that so you'll feel guilty? No. God wants you to know your sin is being paid for so that you can walk away free and forgiven. And when you look upon Jesus, and I don't mean look upon him with your physical eyes, but by faith, when you look at Jesus dying for you and you realize that your sin is placed on him, you basically say to God, I want you to heal me from the sin and the poison that is forever in me. And the Bible tells us anyone who looks at Christ in fact, Jesus said this two verses later, whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. I'm two minutes over time, but I want you to pray with me. Would you just pray with me? You say, Mark, I want to be sure that I'm forever forgiven. Well, one fence breaker talking to another here. Let's pray. And I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words. It's just a, important things that you feel what we're going to say to God. And I want to pray it slowly so you can decide whether you want to say it, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, I'm a sinner, and I own it. I've broken a lot of fences. I have a lot of poison in me. But I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. I trust Jesus 
to be my savior and my king. I trust you to heal me from my poison and forgive me in Jesus' name. Hey, before you leave, if you just prayed that prayer, say, Mark, I have no idea what happened to me. I prayed with you, but I'm not sure what happened. I have a packet I want to give you. If you'll just go right out in the lobby, there's a place called Guest Services. It has a DVD, a little book that I wrote that answers a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. All you got to do is say, I prayed with Mark. There's a little one back by the coffee shop, Guest Services. But before you leave, I need to tell you something that I screwed up last week, okay? So I'll make it right. Last week, I told you that a lot of people at New Spring, who were here through the years, believed that the greatest talk is talk number three. Last week, I said that'll be in two weeks. I got out in front of my headlights. It would really be in three weeks. So it's two weeks from this weekend. But next week's talk is really great. So, <laughs> but just so, whatever you're doing two weeks from now, according to the old timers, including Mary Alice, I have it ranked number three. Almost everybody has that one ranked number one. So I just want to give you that. Thanks for being here. God bless. See you soon.